This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. The more we learn about the small business ecosystem, especially when it comes to B2B small businesses, the better a job that we can do of using that data to make predictions and serve our customers. How can data help small businesses succeed in the current economy? With more than 20 years of experience in product management, Prashant Faloria, CEO of Funbox, brings a unique insight into utilizing tech and data to help small businesses focus on their craft without sacrificing time on funding. Prashant shares Funbox's innovative process of collecting data and using technology to provide reliable funding services that keep customers secure in their businesses. Enjoy today's episode on IT Visionaries. Prashant Faloria, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, we're pumped to have you. You work in an industry that absolutely is mission critical for, I'll speak on myself, for small businesses specifically. I'm sure you work with other business types as well. But for our audience who may not know what Funbox does, why don't we start there? What is Funbox? What do you guys do? So Funbox is a working capital platform for small businesses. And what I mean by that is we help small business owners optimize their cash flows by using technology. So our customers use our products like a revolving line of credit, a spend management solution, uh, both on funbox.com and our website, but also embedded inside of other systems that they might be using, like QuickBooks software for accounting purposes or a FreshBooks invoicing platform or their Stripe payment solution. So give us an idea a little bit of how this works, because I'm going to speak from my experience and I'd love to hear the differences. Now, full transparency mission has never used Funbox. So I have some perspective on how the industry works, but I'd love to hear the difference for your tool. But for every small business operator out there, we all know that cash flow is a challenge potentially, right? You sell a contract, especially if it's an enterprise contract. Well, you're not going to get paid for, you know, 30, 60, 90 or worse days, right? So you typically sometimes need some type of bridge capital potentially to operate the business until that payment comes through. Now, you typically have your accounting software like a QuickBooks you mentioned. You have maybe some other tools that you have in place, but that doesn't mean you have cash. Now, in the past, you kind of had this separate thing, which you could go get money, lines of credit, things like that. And then you would have to then bring that data into your QuickBooks or something like that and figure out when or how you're going to operate your business. Give us an idea, Prashant. That's how it used to be. What's the difference between what I just described and what Funbox does? I think the, the first thing you mentioned, which is absolutely true, despite whatever might have been there in the past, 82% of small business failures actually happen because of what you just mentioned cash flow gaps. Yeah. Not because the business sucks or because they have a lousy product or no customers. It's because of the timing of inbound and outbound cash flows. And I'm going to mention two things that are sort of really ironic. First of all, these cash flow gaps are worse when your business is growing. So if you have a growing business, yeah. the problem is you're front-loading all your costs to get paid later. So it's actually even more acute. And the second thing is that the more blue chip your customers are, the worse it is, because the bigger your customers, the more determined they are to pay you as late as possible. A wise man once told me in B2B, i.e. business to business, the bigger B always wins. So the more blue chip your customers are, the worse it is. And so what Funbox does is help you address and those, those timing issues of cash flows 
by plugging right into your business systems. So it could be your invoicing software, your payment platform, your mm. e-commerce platform, or just your business bank account. And reading the data in that business system to be able to assess what you might need and what could be a responsible amount of credit to be able to offer you in real time. So going back to the example of QuickBooks, you just issued an invoice. Well, you know you're going to get paid 90 days later, if at all, but hopefully 90 days later. Uh, well, Funbox <laughs> is right there within QuickBooks for you. So you never have to leave QuickBooks to access Funbox. We actually have a partnership with QuickBooks where you can just within your, your QuickBooks account, sign up for Funbox. Just give consent to Funbox to access your data. Never leave, never have to create a new account. And within minutes, you're up and running with, with access to credit on demand or capital on demand. So whenever you need it, for as long as you need it, you can, take a, you can take a certain amount of money to bridge that cash flow gap. And we do this with other partners as well. And again, the idea here is to really flow right into the business workflows that you may have, whether it's paying an invoice or issuing an invoice for your client. So this is a huge difference than what I experienced when I was originally doing, you know, work just in the initial stages of mission and other businesses have had in the past. One of the things that you just hit on the head is this analysis, this insight into recognizing maybe your cash shortage or your cash, because I want our audience, for those who have never suffered through the <laughs> process of bootstrapping, uh, if you, you know, for anyone who's out there that's not bootstrapped, I can't tell you how disconnected the actual bit, like the outside world your actual cash flow and lending is lenders want to lend you as much money as you can afford to borrow. So your debt service is as big as possible. What you're describing Prashant, is this analytical tool that can kind of forecast for me when I need to borrow some money, probably a right amount versus like the full amount so that I can limit my interest payments. So I'm not, you know, spending all my future cash on interest. Give us some other ideas of some of the benefits you have, because this is pretty cool. I mean, I could see exactly why a business operator would want access to the insights, these recommendations, because otherwise the burden's all on them to figure out how much do they need? What's my interest payment debt service? Like it's, it's, it's a pain. So you hit upon a very important thing, which is how does a service provider help the small business owner? And very often it's one of the two extremes. Either you're declined as a small business owner because you haven't been in business for three years, for example, you go back, you go to a bank, very often a bank is going to look for three years of records or five years or what That's have correct. you to be able to give you some access, some some credit on the one hand. And when they give it to you, they want to give it to you in, in as inflexible a way as possible because they want you to take <laughs> on as much debt as possible because that then juices their, their revenues. We have a different approach, which is we would encourage our customers to be able to interact with us many times as they need, as they need to draw funds, as they need return funds when they no longer need them. Mm. So we're not trying to optimize the amount of money we might make on a single transaction with a customer. What we want to do is have a long-term relationship with the customer, where over the many many years we become a partner of theirs, or we become an important tool in their toolkit as they run their business. And our most successful customers, the customers that who are the who are the best for Fundbox from an economic perspective, are those that often start off small, start using Fundbox, and use us on an average. Our average customer draws funds from us nine times a year, mm. and when they start using our spend management solution, that goes to five times a month. So very small, fast transactions, which create value for them. And as they grow, 
we can give them access to more and more capital, more and more working capital. So the business is really built on customers who like the product and then stick around, use it, benefit from it, be successful, and then we share in their success in some ways. So my next question is really, how did you get the idea to do this? So this is the area you wanted to serve because we looked at a little homework on you and we see that you have, for example, your undergraduate degree is in chemical engineering, I believe at Stanford. Uh, it does look, say that you managed or you did a little bit of business management and mathematical and statistical uh, analysis work on the side uh, or this part of your education. But this this problem you're hitting at is so I feel like it's it that is this is the intimate knowledge that happens that founders develop, right? People on the outside don't really talk about this, which is basically the the fact that you're kind of going to be short on cash from the very beginning. So you kind of did you experience this problem? Like, how did you know the problem existed? Um, you know, I guess my question is multifaceted. How did you find out the problem existed, and how did you figure out you were the guy to solve it? Because your background is in chemical engineering. I mean, it's, it's not quite the same. Well, so my background is 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 a really uh, unusual one. I did start off as a chemical engineer, uh, which I actually got my degree from from IIT Delhi in India. Then came to Stanford to get my PhD uh, in business. And my goal at that time, this is back in 1996, was to become a business school academic, so become a professor. And after a little while of doing research, I realized that I love the research part, but it's a really lonely existence. Uh, <laughs> I'd much rather work in a team with other people. And this was like 99, and the valley was booming. And so I decided. I'm going to get my PhD as quickly as possible and then join a startup. And so that's how I made the move from a more academic background to, to working in technology as a product manager. And I kind of grew my career as a product manager uh, at startups, but also larger companies or companies that were small when I joined them, but then grew enormously while I was with them, including Google and Facebook. So I spent over a decade yeah. at Google and Facebook in the early days of both of those companies. I then did a startup that was acquired by Yahoo!, and around 2014, 2015, I was thinking about what to do next. And I spent enough time building payment products and advertising products and consumer internet products. And I was looking for something with some meaning to it. And I got in touch with, actually the founder of Funbox is a guy named Eyal. He's based in Israel. Uh, he started a company in Israel and he had just moved to the Bay Area to, to scale the company in the US. I got introduced to him and we spent about a year talking and I joined him more formally in 2016, so six years ago. So by that time, Funbox was, had built its first product, but really was trying to figure out how to get this to be commercially viable. So they, so Eyal actually had the idea and the seed of the idea, but then there was the, okay, this product, if, if you could deliver this would work really, would serve customers really well, the next question is, well, okay, how do you make it work in any sustainable, economically viable way? And so that's when I joined him and started helping him with the business and three years later started running the company. For me, the, the, the attraction was just the impact that this has and can have in the future as, as it grows on the small business economy. Like half of the private sector employment in the US is small businesses. There are 33 million small businesses in the US. And so a big part of our economy, our society, and yet it's a really neglected part of the economy. And I actually realized how technology could actually serve small businesses in other areas. Because when I was a product manager on Google AdWords, 
I realized that technology could help a small business that is advertising compete on the same playing field as a large enterprise. So I thought, well, if technology can help level the playing field in, say, digital marketing, then why not in other areas like financial services? And so to me, Fundbox is, is all about helping small business owners really obviously run and grow their businesses, but also be more competitive uh, in the world that we live in, where without platforms like Fundbox, some of the spoils of technology would disproportionately go to the larger players who have the, the resources to be able to take advantage of those. Well, I mean, I think you also said it at the top of the conversation where for a lot of small businesses, they're like just a contract away from scale or they're a contract away from you know, getting stability, financial stability to start making better investments. We're always on the fringe of like the next big step. And you already hit the, you already hit it, which is a lot of small with undercapitalization. It's not the product's bad. It's not the service's bad. They just can't get it balanced up. They can't create enough margin to handle their upfront costs so that they can get paid. And I'll say one thing, when I, when I look at our customers, and this is a gross generalization, but they fall into two categories. The first category of small business owners are those who are financially quite savvy. Yeah. I remember talking to a person who ran a restaurant and a waste disposal business. And I asked him, what's the connection between your restaurant and your waste disposal business? And I realized that for him, it was just a business opportunity. He had a chance to buy a business. He did the math. It seemed to be good. He bought it. Now, it turns out that the majority of small business owners actually aren't like that. They aren't the financially savvy or even very interested in money. They like the craft. They want to paint or they want to build a house or they want to manufacture something. And the thing they actually, they love their business. They love the craft. The thing they hate about their business is all the money stuff. Yeah. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to call a client and say, hey, you haven't paid me for a while. Like that's the part of their job that sucks. <laughs> and so to the extent that Fundbox can help, and, and not just Fundbox, frankly, technology can help take away that the sucky part, the part they don't want to think about yeah. and automate it and make it easy for them and let them focus on what they want to do. I think that's, that's a big win. Yeah. Uh, the way you described what you just described, I just thought of my friend who runs his own brewery and he always talks about the razor thin margins, the fact that he's to front the cost of like the cans and it's always a, like you said, the, most of his job, he said, is not brewing beer, which is actually what he enjoys doing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's always looking for the solutions for that. When you were building, when Funbox was beginning to grow, uh, whether it's from inception or it happened along the way, how did you make the decision or when was the decision made that it was going to create its value in its analysis, like you suggested, because there's already lending tools. There's already accounting tools. You know what I mean? Like QuickBooks exists. Zero exists. Other accounting software exists. Lending tools have existed for forever, right? And a lot of them talk, right? Like there, in the past, there have been ways, for example, if I were to look in my QuickBooks, there would be, they would say, do you want money? And like you can, of course, go to a portal and go elsewhere and try to borrow money. Was there a conscious decision to play in that middle ground, which is like, hey, how about we analyze to tell people when they actually need money so we can provide money versus uh, let's be a lender, let's be a, an accounting software? Because you're kind of in the middle of these two industries. So we have a product called Cashflow Insights that help our customers do a short-term forecast and see what their cash flows might look like, say, in four weeks or what have you. We do 
monetize through credit, through capital, through lending and payments, but right. it's a combination of lending and payments. I think for us, the way we position ourselves in the market is it's less of, of a, are we a lending company or a payment company or what have you, but it's really, what's the problem that we're solving? Because you're absolutely right. There have been There have been lending tools available in the past, but honestly, they haven't really met the needs of most of most customers. And reasons are very obvious. First of all, most banks that provide capital tend to only focus on customers that have had long histories. That's right. Or that are larger. And the reasons are very simple. It's economics. Yep. The data, it's difficult to assess a small business without spending a lot of time, people time, an auditor, an underwriter, so it, it takes the average bank over $4,000, $4,000 to assess a small business. Wow. Because of all the human capital involved. That's Now, if this was, <laughs> if, I were, if I were spending $4,000 of money to assess a midsize or an enterprise client who would be taking out millions in loans on which I'd make millions of dollars in revenue, the $4,000 is well worth it. But now... If let's say your friend who is running a brewery needs a hundred thousand dollar revolving line of credit, it may not be worth their while to spend four thousand dollars in upfront costs to assess him. And so that is, even though there were these tools, the market was, and frankly, even today, still is highly underserved. Highly underserved. We hear this all the time from 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 our customers. That I worked with Bank X for sixteen years. I had one missed payment couldn't get access to working capital. And so our approach in using data, business transaction data, was not idealistic in the sense that, well, we want to be like a big data company or we want to build AI or anything like that. It was because what are we going to do? If you want to solve this problem, what do we have to be able to address the needs of a small business in a, in a scalable way? Because yes, we could hire a whole bunch of people, but then we'd be basically at the same place as, as the banks if we had people manually assessing uh, the, the, the books of a small business. So our approach to getting data from business systems, building these statistical models, predicting the likelihood of risk of a transaction or a business, providing capital based on that data was all because that, that was sort of the, the solution to the problem we were trying to solve. So one of the things as you're talking, I think to myself, like similar to, so fi- finances, you, you mentioned it before, it's like a game of data to understand history, right? You have to understand a lot to make good judgments. So even if you had access to like, uh, let's say like first wave of accounting software to understand when cash was coming in, cash was going out, it'll take a while before you get enough data to like have a good enough data set that suggests, hey, I with reasonable confidence can make a prediction on when you'll need capital and when you may uh, receive a payment. What was that process like during the building of Funbox to, because you had to get a lot of data in order to <laughs> make this good, to make, to do good data analysis. Yes. What was that process like? Cause this is a game of trust. It's, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of trust involved in, I'm sure the first wave of customers were like, who, who, Prashant, who are, who are you? Like, I don't, I don't want you sitting in my accounting system. <laughs> right. But uh, so, so I think there are, when it comes to the data question you ask, think of think of data very simply as sort of 
rows and columns, right? Sure. The, the columns are all the different aspects of a customer's financial uh, system or financial health. Cash inflows, cash outflows, balances, customer concentration. Like there's so many things you can, you can actually infer by looking at someone's accounts or payment history and so on. And the rows are the number of customers or the number of times they're coming to you and, for example, taking a loan and either paying you back or not. So to build out this, what we have, this proprietary data asset takes time because it's not just the number of columns, which is, which is great when you connect to someone's accounting software or bank account, but also getting more and more customers in. So there are a few things that we did in order to make that happen, in order to build this thing. The first was that we require any customer who wants to be able to use Funbox needs to connect at least one or maybe more than one data source. So it could be, again, their accounting software, invoicing system, e-commerce platform, what have you. So it's a requirement. And by the way, these are always on connections. So this isn't a, I'm going to let you look at my bank account right now, a snapshot. No, we want real-time access to your bank account to be able to see what's happening as things progress. Because for most of our customers, their businesses are dynamic. Their needs change over time. It's not what I needed a year ago. It's not what I need today. It, it changes over time. The second thing was we had this, we had and have this commitment to customers who come to us, some of whom we can serve immediately and say, okay, well, here's a line of credit. Here's a spend management solution. And there are customers we cannot serve because we don't understand them enough. Yeah. And so our commitment is if you stay connected, if you stay connected, we're going to continue assessing and reassessing you, and we'll let you know as soon as we can serve you. And for the customer, this sort of this value proposition, if you will, makes sense, which is, all right, I really want this product. If I stay connected, this can, this can help me in the future. So, which is why we've served over 100,000 small businesses who've transacted with us, used our products, and so on. But the number of customers who've connected with us over time is, is over half a million. Mm. So we actually have data from over half a million customers. Now, there's a multiplier that I'll talk about right now, which is when someone connects their business system to us, we learn about them. But we also learn a bit about the other businesses that they interact with, their counterparties. Mm. Because if you're running a business, you've got customers and you've got suppliers. And so... When you connect your, your accounting software to Funbox, it helps us build out our graph, where the graph, you can imagine, the nodes are businesses, but the edges, the connections, are the transactions between them. So now we've got a graph, and each new customer brings information on over 100 other businesses into Funbox. So now we have a graph with over 10 million businesses in it. And as we serve more and more customers, that graph becomes wider and it becomes deeper. So we're getting more and more businesses into our graph, and we are also learning more and more about them. This is really helpful, for example, in fighting fraud. Um, if, for example, we see a new customer comes to us and we see that in their list of counterparties is another entity that we've thought of as potentially being fraudulent, well, that's a, that's a red flag for us. So again, the more we learn about the small business ecosystem, especially when it comes to B2B small businesses, right? The, the better a job that we can do of using that data to make predictions and, and serve our customers. So when I think of what you just described, I always think to myself, like, 
a lot of the best software tools kind of work in the background, right? They're not, they don't have, they don't have logins. You're not actively using them all the time. You might use them very quickly to do certain things. I like to use the term passive computing. And like a, a good example is like, um, and then I always say is everyone, everyone uses Google, but no one realizes how much or how little they use it because they're just searching very quickly. And of course it comes up with all the answers. It makes recommendations. It does all of that stuff. It's, it knows your habits, right? It just knows what you're doing. And I think to myself, like you've learned so much with that data when Fundbox was first starting or, you know, trying to sign up these partnerships with these different systems. Was that a big challenge? Like that did did pe- were people very quite reluctant to say like, hey, I'm going to give you a seat into my systems, my customer. I don't know who you are, like because like so I know that Funbox is available through QuickBooks because I'm a QuickBooks customer across a couple different businesses, so I'll see opportunities. Like I've kind of wondered how they predicted when I need stuff, but like you know now now I'm talking to you, I completely understand. Um, you know what was it like? I guess negotiating those ar- arrangements to say, hey, we want to sit. We want to co-sit with um, your customers in, in the systems. So when it comes to working with these uh, tech platforms, I think there are, there are two different modes of working. So the first is you don't need to partner with QuickBooks or with Stripe or Square or PayPal in order to be able to use their data mm. as long as the customer consents. Because again, these platforms typically have APIs that let third-party developers get access to the data, again, if the customer consents. So way before we signed a, you know, way before we started working formally with Stripe, the, you know, we announced that back in, in May and we were a launch partner on their, on their, uh, uh, in their marketplace, their app marketplace. Mm-hmm. Way before we started working formally with Stripe, we were already looking at Stripe data because our customers could just connect their Stripe to their fun box. So first of all, you don't even necessarily need to have a formal relationship with many of these tech platforms as long as you are a developer that plays by the rules of their platform, right? And you you follow whatever guidelines they've set on using their APIs, getting consent from their customers, and so on. So that's the first part. And the second part, of course, is, and this is usually true when you're able to demonstrate value through that less engaged or so that sort of more standard approach, then you can have sort of a partnership which is deeper than that. So in the case of QuickBooks, think of it this way. You can connect QuickBooks with Funbox in two different ways. You can come to Funbox, download our mobile app or just come to our website, set up an account, and we give you the choice to, the chance to just connect your QuickBooks to your Funbox. And that's, we do a very good job of that, but that's not proprietary to Funbox. Anybody could in theory, build that experience using the QuickBooks APIs. But the flip side of what you see as a QuickBooks user inside of QuickBooks, now that's because of our partnership. Right. And sometimes you're able to demonstrate value through the first route to motivate a platform to work with you through the second route. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's just as simple as that because ultimately, here's the thing, QuickBooks is a great partner, Intuit's a great partner, where I think they want to do what's best for their customers. Yeah. And by offering services like Funbox inside of QuickBooks, it just makes their overall offering even that much stronger. So we've, we've had great partnership, not only with their partnership team, but also with their product team that wants to make their product experience better by adding services like Funbox into it. 
Well, you know, when you say that, like I think to myself about being, like I said, I'm a small business owner. I've been in the game for, you know, a dec more than a decade now. Um, when I think about it, it's it's a lot of it is that the markets also can can be the lending market, not you. The lending market can sometimes be predatory or just unsavory. High interest rates, like typically, the, the less likely you have access to capital, the worse your terms are going to be when you do find a supplier of capital. So, uh, for those people listening, you know, Fundbox highly trusted, three billion working capital unlocked, five hundred thousand businesses served. They got over four point eight stars on Trustpilot, A plus rating in Better Business Bureau. You got tons of positive things being said about you. What I'm curious about, like, was it a conscious decision? I mean, it sounds like it was. I'd love to hear this decision of saying, hey, because it, you, Funbox is fundamentally different in a great way in that you are using data to right size me. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I think about it is like, you're my partner to help me identify just enough cash flow to operate, but not enough to get in a bad deal. Like, I don't want to get in a bad deal where, you know, we talk about cash flow before, but like if all my cash flow is being used to service debt, like this doesn't help me at all. Like now I can't make payroll. Now I can't buy my critical materials, critical goods to make the fulfill my products and services. So the ability to basically offer and identify the right amount of debt with the right payment terms based upon when you know my payments and my, uh, you know, when my checks are coming out, my checks are coming in is a hugely advantageous thing. But if, you know, the other side of the coin of that is like as a lender, like you said, it completely goes against what most lenders would do, which is to give you the biggest loan possible upfront. What was the conscious, was it a conscious decision? Be like, hey, if we do this, we will be better for customers and this is the way to play. We won't make as much per transaction, but we're gonna be better for customers and therefore we are going to have more customers. So as a, as a product person who's worked in, who built different kinds of, consumer internet products in the past. I've always thought about customer engagement and repeat customer engagement as a really important property of a good product. So when we think about products, digital products or other products, you can argue, is this good, is this bad? That's very subjective. But an objective way to measure the quality of a product is, does the customer come back? Mm and use the product again? Have they had a good experience with it? And so instinctively, I try to gravitate towards products that people will use over and over and over again. If I, given a choice personally, had two options, in both cases, I, let's just say I made $1,000, right? And one was the customer used, used my product once, I made a thousand bucks and I never saw him again. And the other one, the customer uses my product 10 times and she, and I make $100 every time she uses the product over 10 times. I'd actually choose the latter over the former every time because there's something in building a customer relationship over time that has a lot of goodness in it. And it's not just goodness in, the, in a sort of a warm, fuzzy sense. It's real business goodness because now if someone's used your product over time, guess what? That means they are, they're more likely to probably recommend you to their peers. It probably means that if you offer something else in the future, they'll consider it seriously, right? Mm -hmm. And so this idea of providing capital in bite-sized chunks, where our average customer, again, is taking drawing funds 
for relatively short durations. Our average duration is about 18 weeks or so. Mm -hmm. And like nine times a year on an average. It's just, it's a, it's, it's a manifestation of that. And that engagement gives us at least the opportunity to say, hey, by the way, looks like you, you like this product. Here's this other product that you might want to try out. And that's our strategy, which is over time to offer more and more financial products to our customers to help them with their end-to-end cash flows such that we are not only just providing capital and inserting, injecting capital when they need it, but also helping them with their payables. So which is, we call this flex pay. That's our spend management solution. And then eventually over time receivables as well. So to help them get paid more effectively and more efficiently. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I've listening to you talk about this, I can see why it's such a great fit for small businesses. And I can also say to your analogy of, you know, what I want, want a thousand dollars in one shot or, you know, have a recurring customer at a smaller transaction value, uh, equal the same amount, you would choose the latter because it meant your product was being used and loved and appreciated. I can tell you that when in my past I've needed capital because I couldn't get access to it easily and I've taken on those bad loans, I know what I'm doing. I've never gone back. None of them. I've never gone back to any one of these lenders because I know exactly what they did. And that's like, and when I didn't have the need for it anymore, that's it. And I would never recommend any of them. So if anyone wants to know who not to go to, give me a shout. I mean, I did it out of desperation, more out of necessity, but like, it'll never happen again. You know, <laughs> Prashant, you know, one of the things I think about when you, when you're in this, you know, you have a passion and a love for small business. Have you always, because, you know, this is pretty fascinating about you. Your background is definitely in big business. How did you develop a love for um, the small guys like us? So I actually ended up working with many small businesses as customers when I was working on, uh, on advertising at Google AdWords. If you go back to, I joined Google in the very early days. This was like 2003. The company was like less than five years old at that time, was about 500 people. And AdWords had just been built. And at that time, and folks don't necessarily remember this, Google AdWords was not the only advertising product at Google. There were actually two products. Mm -hmm. There's a product called Premium Sponsorships, the, the things that would show up above the search results that were being sold to large advertisers, like large agencies, you know, Madison Avenue and, and so on. And then this Google AdWords was this new product being shown on the right side of the search results. And that was an auction available to small advertisers as well. So at that time, actually, the right-hand ads were small advertisers. The top ads were large advertisers. <laughs> and so I actually started working with small advertisers and I realized that Again, that's the value of technology in leveling the playing field. And at that time, actually, the really interesting insight from Larry and Sergey was, oh, the product that we've built for small advertisers is actually better because it uses an auction than the product for large advertisers. So we're going to sunset premium sponsorships and put the entire company, all of Google, on just AdWords and let AdWords flow into the space between the search query and the, and the organic search results. So in fact, I was the product manager who did some of that integration of AdWords into premium sponsorships. And I remember December 31st, 2003 was the last impression of premium sponsorships that we served. I remember filing that ticket. You know, I should have, I, should, I wish I had like a, you know, I, 
an NFT of that somewhere or something. But so <laughs> I've worked, I've, I've, I've worked in products serving small businesses for quite some time, but not in the financial, not in the financial services category. And to me, it was a great learning experience because again, I think of myself as a perpetual student. And so the opportunity to learn about a customer or a certain kind of need or a domain is always fascinating. And so there are elements of me where I'm, I feel like I'm using things I've done in the past and there are things that have been completely new to me over the last six years. Well, that's, that's awesome. Listen, I've only been in it, but I can only say for myself, you know, I've worked along company, you know, clients that are in big companies. I totally respect everyone that's part of the entrepreneurial, the entrepreneurial movement, small businesses. So I want to say thank you for investing in this arena. Obviously it's a, it's an arena that it's, it's a, it's close to me. I've been there. I've felt that pain. I should have been your customer. Funbox wasn't available at the time I needed the money. But now, then I the next thing I start, because I know it's perfectly integrated with my QuickBooks, I'm just going to instantly see that there. Prashant, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing all the things that you guys do at Funbox. Thanks for making it very clear the difference between having just an accounting tool and having a lending tool and saying, hey, no, you need actually both to talk to each other. I agree with you. The data, the insights to give you a right-sized loan is actually key for all you small business owners and operators out there, never overborrow. It's never a good thing. Just don't do it. Uh, <laughs> so I appreciate you building tools to put that in place. You know, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries telling that story. But before you go, it is actually time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Prashant, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? Uh, I... I Yes, I have no choice. <laughs> you don't have a choice. There you go. So we saw you gave us before the show started, you gave us a little bit of a tour of your, I would call it your music room. Your children play instruments. You play instruments. I got to ask, what style of music do you enjoy playing? Well, I just love playing blues and rock and a little bit of jazz. It's just fun to be able to play music with other people. And when the pandemic hit and and that went away for a while. I really felt it. <laughs> when you, uh, you also mentioned that your children all play instruments. Do you actually play together or do they think, you know, dad's, you know, not cool enough? Well, so when they were younger, <laughs> so my, my son's a drummer, my daughter's a bass player, I'm a guitar player. So that's the perfect trio, actually. And when they were younger, we would jam together a lot. And we also played in public a few times. Now, now they're older. My, my daughter's almost 19. My son is 16. Dad's no longer cool. They're off playing with their own bands. But um, I think this is also a, a passing phase. I'm, I'm looking forward to they come back. life, you know, five, 10 years from now. And they'll come back. They'll come back. They come back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of music do you like to listen to? Is it, and is it the same as what you like playing? It's uh, a lot of it is the same. A lot of it is the same. I perhaps listen to more challenging music, technically challenging music uh, than I play. But I, I love listening to just, just rock and blues and, and, and jazz, a lot of jazz as well. Give us an idea of some of your favorite artists. So most of my artists tend to be a little obscure, uh, but um, uh, like a very, a very uh, incredible jazz guitar player named Alan Holdsworth is someone whom I really look up to. Um, and... Um, uh, he sort of pioneered a whole category, a whole genre of guitar playing. Eddie Van Halen used to respect him, you know, uh, back in the day. Um, and uh, uh, and there's there's whole, there's so many musicians 
some of whom I've had the good fortune of being able to meet uh, and spend time with. Um, uh, and, um, uh, you know, I, I could I could go on. Like, there's just, there's just so many incredible musicians across the generations that that are really inspiring. So I wouldn't even know where to, I wouldn't even know where to begin. All right. Last question. What music style or artist do you like listening to, to help you think clearly? You know, this is really interesting because I found it as I get a little older, I think I found it more difficult to really focus with music on. Interesting. And this is really strange because when I was younger, and I was like, for example, I was, doing my, I was doing a PhD and I was working on math and proving theorems and things like that. I'd have like rock music blaring from you know, speakers and I'd just be <laughs> able to focus and, and like do hard math. These days, I find that my music has to be really, really soft and in the background for, for me to have space to think. I think part of what's also happened is some people think visually, some people think verbally. Mm -hmm. And so my thinking has also started having more of a verbal aspect to it, an auditory aspect to it. So when I'm thinking, I often hear myself or hear someone saying something, right? And so then when you're hearing music and thinking verbally, it, that, that really interferes. So one suggestion I'd have for you and for, for all, for all uh, of the audience is this think about something like maybe count the numbers one to 10 in your head and then see, did you actually say one, two, three, four to 10 in your head? Or did you see the numbers one, two, three, four flash in front of you hmm. or both? Because that'll give you a sense for how visual versus how, I guess, verbal or auditory your thinking is. And that might also change over time. So something to think about. Listen, I always wondered because I, I, when I worked in software companies, we would always see developers, you know, throw headphones on their head right before they were, you know, doing some deep thought, deep coding. So I think it's pretty fascinating what you just described. And as you were asking that and saying that, I thought to myself, there's something I do verbally as you do uh, when I do like really hard workouts. I kind of like basically berate myself like a coach. Oh, would. yes. Like, don't be, <laughs> you know, don't. Don't suck. Like, yeah. And I'll say that like out loud, you know, people will look over and like, what is he doing? I'm like, do not quit. <laughs> yeah. The word quit does not exist. There you go. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, but do it later does, which is my problem, which is why I'm not super fit. You know what I mean? Cause I'll, I'll, I'll definitely put things off, which is, you know, not good. But Prashant, it's awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing some of the things that you've been doing at Funbox. Thanks for sharing the bridge between small business accounting software and actual lending for any aspiring entrepreneur out there. Listen, you can listen to all the articles and read all the articles you can want about fundraising. For the most part, if you're going to get started, you'll probably have to bootstrap in some way. And for the, the for a lot of us, capital and how to spend and get access to capital to work is going to be a challenge. For those interested, the name of the company is Funbox. Again, F-U-N-D-B-O-X.com. It'll be linked in the show notes below. If you use accounting software, which most of you will, QuickBooks, Zero, Funbox is integrated with a lot of different tools. Rashant, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing what you do. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Till next time. Thanks for listening to IT Visionaries. Mm -hmm.